right, let's turn to the final part of today's 123 show, and that is a bit of trash talk. This week on Trash Talk, Marcy Trent Long speaks to Doug Woodring from the Ocean Recovery Alliance about their partnership with adventurer Ergden Eric, who's rowing from California to Hong Kong to raise awareness of plastic pollution in the ocean. Hey, Trash Talk listeners. Today we're going to talk about activism through sports. A role model of that here in Hong Kong is Doug Woodring, who not only organizes fun open water races around Hong Kong waters, he also participates in swimming and rowing competitions around the world. And all of this ties into the NGO he spearheads, Ocean Recovery Alliance, whose mission it is to address the ocean's most pressing issues. Thanks for coming to the show, Doug. Thanks, Marcy. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. So what's great about Ocean Recovery Alliance is uh, your focus on plastic and plastic waste in the ocean. And also the fact that you, you know, you bring sport into it, which makes it even a much more fun way to protect the ocean. So I know you're collaborating with Arutsch. Yeah. And who is rowing across the Pacific Ocean as we speak? Yes, that's correct. He's about 1,500 miles off of Hawaii, west of Hawaii. He started about 130 days ago. Uh, He's the first person. He already has 15, 16 world records now. He's gone around the world once, about 12, 15 years ago. The only person to do it human-powered with rowing and biking, but it was in different segments to avoid the storms and different oceans at different times. But he's doing it now. First one ever to go across the Pacific from mainland to mainland and north of the equator. Often when people cross the Pacific or try to, they end up going south for the currents to get to Papua New Guinea or Australia. And he's doing it for ocean awareness and uh, plastic pollution awareness and general ocean health. He is doing citizen science along the way. And he's one of our ocean ambassadors. So we are the support team for him on this side of the world and we put out his event is called westbound rower because he rose westward from california we expect him here in march and we put out weekly education uh, material on westbound wednesdays which is now in four languages english chinese spanish and turkish he's turkish american and it's everything about the ocean, survival, currents, wind, how do you make water, how do you eat, what sharks do you see, do you see plastic, how about satellite imagery and ground truthing with our scientists who are on our team from the University of Hawaii. So we have a really amazing stuff going, and we also have live calls with him every few weeks with schools around the world. Last uh, two nights ago, we had... 30 schools from Kenya and the U.S. on the phone with him live. Uh, oh, that is super cool. talk in two days with him with the Explorers Club out of New York. So he and I will be talking. That will be on at 8 a.m. Hong Kong time on Tuesday the 7th. And it's pretty neat. Kids love it. They, oh, uh, do they? They get to hear and see what he's doing and what they ask, you know, how does he survive? How does he go to the bathroom? Where does he get his water? Does he flip over? You know, what does he see? Why did the shark come look at you? All these kind of things. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to have to listen to one of the Zooms because those are all my questions as well. <laughs> Except the one big dangling one is, is he going to have to quarantine? 
Uh, we're working on that right now, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, he's the only person in the world probably today on the planet that will have been um, by himself for six months without seeing anyone else, so it wouldn't make any sense for him to quarantine. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah. not. But, so you know, he, he, he probably will not come to Hong Kong if he does have to quarantine. If he yeah. does, uh, not, he'll bypass Hong Kong and he'll go to Vietnam. Huh. Well, maybe he can just stay out in the Another ocean. 800 miles. <laughs> What's That's another 800, 800 mile miles? Decision. Oh, my right. God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is really cool. And then you also have cold half and clean half races coming up, right? And uh, how do, uh-huh. Yeah, we haven't done those in a couple of years because uh, of COVID. So uh, I started a different race, uh, which is on the same day as the clean half. It's all about uh, paddling and rowing. So we have uh, <gasps> about Bless 150 you. people doing different events. and um, All in Hong Kong? All in Hong Kong. That's uh, great. Uh, it's, a, it's a relay from Stanley to Deepwater Bay, 36 kilometers with outrigger canoes, surf skis, and a coastal rowboat. Oh, super fun. So no swimming? Uh, not in this race, no. Yeah. So because normally people came from afar? Or? Uh, it's just too hard with the government logistics uh, um, planning. Oh, I see. And how do, those, how do these kind of races raise awareness for ocean plastic pollution in Hong Kong? Um, well, we, we were one of the first races of any race, I think, to have, have a plastic-free event, so we had water refilling stations. Now that's pretty commonplace in races, but, you know, of course, no plastic bottles, no plastic bags on T-shirts if someone hands out T-shirts. A lot of event organizers don't think about these things. They, they get a 1,000 T-shirts made, hand them out at the event, and the bags fly around in the wind. Uh, or they get uh, some caterer and says, please bring me 500 meals, and then don't think about telling the caterer not to use plastic plates and plastic forks. Of course, things are getting a little bit more better and aware about that, but that's what we try to sort of bring into our events. We worked with the uh, Turkish Olympic Committee on the big cross-phosphorus swim and uh, did a whole plastic disclosure project for their program to alleviate all the trash at the end of their races, which was pretty neat. Now, now, I don't know if many of our listeners know what the Plastic Disclosure Project is, and I was wondering if anyone in Hong Kong is taking it up. Maybe you could describe it a little bit. Right. So this is one of the – we were the first in the world with a methodology for uh, reporting your plastic use, much like carbon and water use. So it's good for companies, institutions, institutions. and sports events or any events that have people and trash. And it's uh, there's no right or wrong number, but what it does is focuses the company or the user on um, their plastic the consumption, how much is created as waste, how much they recover, uh, do they recycle any of it, can they use recycled content, can they avoid things. So it's the, pretty much the necessary um, action you have to take before you start moving into a circular economy. Because so is it kind of like a, a carbon footprint, but for plastic? It's just like thing? a carbon. That's exactly what it is. Carbon footprint analysis for plastic. But for plastic. Uh, but for plastic. So we've just been training companies and municipalities in Thailand and Malaysia with a UN program, which was funded by the Swedish government. 
over the past 18 months. We did that during COVID, all on webinar and Zoom. And it was great. All kinds of different industries, different companies, and everyone learned a lot because it was the first time they, they sort of pinpointed themselves into a focus on what is plastic and where they use it in their businesses, how they purchase things. It really gets uh, people aligned. So it's a great, great program. That's great. And and is anyone taking it up in Hong Kong? Uh, they have in the past. Yeah, Good. hotels have done it. Um, airline has done it. Uh, different uh, food and beverage type companies. But, uh, you know, it still is new work for, for companies. And it's another job like undertaking a carbon analysis. So sometimes they claim they don't have enough staff and they don't want to do this. But because the topic is big now, Globally, there's a lot more awareness in the press. So a lot of companies actually end up calling us and ask us now how to fix something or improve something. And in the old days, we had to knock on their door and try to convince them of why this is good for them. So, so that's a good sign. Bit, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I must say that it feels like the needle isn't moving much on global ocean plastic these days, even though there's new technologies in recycling and lots of global commitments for design change, but uh, more and more reports like the recent UN Environment Program just published the same story, which is the world has a huge plastic problem and it's getting worse. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, you know, in a way it, it probably could be getting worse. COVID came. That means a lot of people didn't collect things because there, there was quarantines. People, you know, the, the waste pickers and the recyclers couldn't even do their job in many countries because they couldn't get out. Of course, we have much, much more um, plastic pollution from face masks and the, the packages of the face masks, uh, the food containers, all the takeaway delivery, all the online shopping, which has all kinds of packaging around it. So in reality, yes, the volume has probably gone up and um, doesn't mean it's all reaching the ocean, but it does mean that there are lacking bigger good solutions that can take care of all that material uh, in any given city. So um, still there, population is <laughs> still big around the world. And so we do have to do a, a lot of bit of different things and design changes um, are one of the things that we believe need to happen, not just um, for a package or a product, but the societal change in the way that we collect material. I think you heard me say this before, but by sorting by wet and dry waste in any city, community or village can make a giant difference. Um, rather than trying to use three-color bins, which usually don't work because people, um, maybe they, they're, they're just either lazy or can't find the other bin. They put their other garbage there, food waste. As soon as you have contamination, the recyclers will never touch it. And um, it's just not efficient for recovering material when it gets contaminated from your house when there's food in the same bag as the plastic. And if yeah. you sort it separately, uh, there's a much, much bigger chance of uh, recovering materials. So around the world, we can make big difference with just society changes like that and not even technical ones. Yep. And that is, uh, back to that point, that is the same story that we've been talking about for 
four or five years. <laughs> That's kind of, although things are getting things are getting better in Hong Kong, well, no one, right? No one's no one's driving it. You know, no one here is driving it. There's, there's yeah. Not any interest. They, they talk about the waste charge, and that that will make a big difference for sure. And that will cause people to want to sort things. But there's not any evidence of where the sorting will go once they do that. So there'll be a very high volume of material that now is usable and is sortable, but I haven't heard of any plan how to capture that and actually make use of it um, beyond just the tax of the waste. So, yeah, little steps along the way, but if they do put that charge in, it, it will make a difference. So let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see what happens. But you also mentioned supporting a global bottle deposit program. So we're moving in that direction, at least here in Hong Kong. Yes. Um, in fact, I was on a call the other day, and she, the expert on the call from Australia, said, hey, you know, how come there's no global deposit bottle program? So I sent her our Facebook page on that issue from about nine years ago, and I said, yeah, we were wanting love to see this happen, but the big bottlers don't like to see it happen. It puts cost on the material for the consumers, so there's always, always, always lobbying against these kind of things um, from the industry, And but it really is the only way we're going to solve something is have a deposit program and or a EPR program, which is Extended Producer Responsibility, which is a, a pay-to-play fee. If you're going to sell your stuff, you have to pay to sell it. Uh, and that payment, it goes to the government, hopefully in the right way, to help with sorting, collection, reprocessing, uh, job creation, and the use of material in the circular economy. But without the money there, it's very hard to make this all work. Yeah, I totally so agree. That legislation and, and those rewards. Well, thanks Thank for you. all your work with Ocean Recovery Alliance and all your yeah, really we'll great look out races. For the news. On um, December 17th, we're making a big announcement at the Dubai Expo in, the, in Dubai uh, with the government of the UAE, and uh, it's about recycling. So uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Always exciting. Yes. Never a dull moment with Doug Woodring. Thanks so much for joining the show, Doug. Nice talking to you. Thanks, Marcy. You can find all the Trash Talk episodes on iTunes and the RTHK On The Go app. Thanks to our partners, Plastic Free Seas. If you like what you hear, I also host the Sustainable Asia podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube for a more in-depth look at sustainability issues here in Asia. Many thanks once again to Marcy Trent Long for this week's Trash Talk. Always so lovely to hear your great features, especially this one, which is on plastic pollution. And I look forward to more Trash Talk uh, coming next week on Monday. (laughs) 